I'm not sure I like comparing myself to Michael Scott, but there is an episode of The Office where Michael has made the decision to leave Dunder Mifflin and Scranton and move to Colorado to be with his beloved Holly. And his last day is to be a Friday, except he makes his last day a Thursday and doesn't tell anybody he's not going to be there the next day. And though I wouldn't miss next Sunday's picnic, I certainly am understanding that impulse today, not for lack of wanting to be with all of you, but for the emotions that are very strong this morning. So there you go. Let us pray. Silence in us any voice but your own gracious God. And as our souls and our spirits and our hearts and our busy lives are quieted, even for a moment, may your word be invited in. A word of grace and hope, a word of love and justice. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. The Gospel lesson this morning is from the Gospel according to the Evangelist Luke. The first 13 verses of the 11th chapter let us hear God's word. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, And you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you know that my father was a Presbyterian minister. 
And for a portion of his ministry, he worked for the Presbyterian Synod that included Michigan and Kentucky and Ohio. Part of his role was to train presbyteries and congregations in stewardship. He would travel a great deal, including preaching on many Sundays in churches across those three states. When I was home, On a summer break or a winter holiday and the drive could be done on a Sunday, I'd often travel with him. I enjoyed being with him. I enjoyed his preaching. Now, when you are on the circuit like that, and when you are essentially invited to a congregation to talk about stewardship, you needn't develop new material each time you show up. And so it was that I came to know my dad's stewardship sermons quite well. And later I joked that I could almost preach them for him, letting him stay in the car, even stay at home if he wanted to. Now one sermon I remember with distinction began with the nursery rhyme, Old Mother Hubbard. Perhaps you remember it. You can say it along with me if you want. Old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to get her poor doggy a bone, but when she got there, the cupboard was bare, and so the poor doggy had none. Now, even these many years later, the point is clear. The church's cupboards were bare and needed replenishing, and you were the people to do it. Now, were my dad still around, I'd be Very grateful to have a conversation with him about many things, including this topic. Now, I don't think he meant that the church was bare on resources, but rather that we had the resources we need, including financial ones. If only we would acknowledge that and reframe it and recalibrate our understanding. That is... I would ask him his thinking on this question. Do we give from our scarcity only enough to barely fill the cupboards? Or do we give from our abundance so that the cupboards can be overflowing? As you might guess, I'm spending lots of time cleaning out my office. For living in a paperless era, I have a lot of papers to get rid of. Minutes and agendas and brochures, highly important documents of so many varieties and kinds in epic amounts. Just yesterday, I discovered some stewardship material from the mid-1990s when I was serving a church in Chicago. Now, stewardship committees wrestle every year about choosing stewardship themes. They seek to be creative and persuasive and compelling as if just the right theme will unlock your wallets or your purse strings or PayPal or your Venmo account. And it rarely works that way. Though a good stewardship theme is better than a bad stewardship theme and certainly can provide some energy. In fact, your own stewardship committee is hard at work on a theme right now, and if you have any ideas, I'm sure Rachel or maybe Eva would welcome those themes if you have them to share. 
At any rate, I discovered an old stewardship brochure in a letter from long ago, and it described a cycle from grace to gratitude to generosity. And I read through it, and I said, hey, this is pretty good stuff. And then I realized that I had written it, so of course it was. <laughs> Although, remembering that I had written it, I dialed back my enthusiasm just a little bit about how good it was. But the cycle is true. Grace to gratitude to generosity. It is true not because a stewardship committee hatched that theme, but because the gospel teaches us that. I've been privileged to teach some courses at Colgate Rochester Crozier Divinity School. I teach some church history, some leadership and administration, but my teaching has focused primarily on the several courses that Presbyterian students need to pass their standard ordination examinations, kind of our version of a bar exam or a CPA exam. I teach Presbyterian worship and theology, I teach courses on our Book of Order, that is, our system of governance. And unlike many of the beloved teachers I know, I very purposefully teach to the test. And last time around, my students passed all of their exams. Yay for them. I finished up my last class this week on Presbyterian theology in our Book of Confessions. And time and time again, I encourage the students to focus on three words, three words, that while not exclusively Presbyterian are emphasized by us in many ways, three words, sovereignty, grace, covenant. Covenant is the unmerited and unbreakable relationship that God establishes with God's people that despite all of our best efforts to break it, remains steadfast. Sovereignty is the affirmation that God is God of everything, and that we are not God of anything. And grace flows from God's sovereignty, that we are saved by God and not by works. That is, there's nothing we can do or say or buy or earn that gets us God's favor. Grace and love that is fully unmerited and fully undeserved and yet nonetheless is freely given. Understanding those three theological touchstones help us understand lots of theology. It also helps us frame our morals and our ethics, our understandings of human relationships that flow from divine relationships, our understandings of human value. As Becky reminded us, and as we just heard long ago, Jesus was asked by his disciples to teach them how to pray. Don't we ask the same thing? And he taught them crafting the framework that we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer. Now it's clear we could spend the next 18 years just on these few verses. Various implications, various translations. I'm often asked why we Presbyterians say debts and debtors, while other traditions say sins and sinners, or 
trespasses and trespassers? Is it because we Presbyterians are so focused on money? Well, maybe it is. But if you notice in Luke's Gospel this morning, we get both sins and indebtedness. Did you notice? Or did you notice also that the Pope recently approved a new English translation of the Lord's Prayer for the Roman Catholic Church? That's some serious power when you can do that. Instead of saying, lead us into temptation, our Catholic friends will now say, do not let us fall into temptation. It's not a good English translation, Pope Francis said, because it speaks of a God who induces temptation. But this is not a sermon on the Lord's Prayer, but rather it's a, a last or another or a next stewardship sermon. So therefore, this morning anyway, I'm interested in what happens next and what happens after Jesus teaches his followers to pray, including all of us. And so he quickly pivots from this prayer to instructing them about it, a parable he tells them about a friend who shows up late at night seeking food. The friend who answers the door at first says no, but his friend is persistent. And he finally relents. The issue was never whether he had food to share. He did. And plenty of it. The issue was his willingness to share. Jesus says, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. In the face of what Walter Brueggemann calls perceived scarcity, Jesus says, ask. Ask. Ask and it will be given to you. It seems so simple and maybe even naive, perhaps even misguided. Ask. But remember those words. Sovereignty, covenant, grace. We 21st century American Christians are doing our best to forget them. We seek to convince ourselves that we are in charge, that we are our own best gods. Human relationships become commodities, and rather than allowing our covenant with God to be the great equalizer, we build intricate and harmful categories, race and gender, ethnicity, politics, that drive fear between us. And rather than accepting amazing grace freely given, we make faith personal rather than communal, and God's love a thing to earn, to win, which leads us to embrace scarcity rather than the beautiful cycles captured in those old stewardship materials, but really reflective of the depth and the power of the gospel. We are loved. We are thankful for that love. And we love. We love by being generous. We express our gratitude to the abundance of God's grace by sharing our abundance whether that be abundance of time, of gifts and skills and capacities, of perspectives on the world, and yes, our money. 
when the door knocks, and knock it will, we respond. Just as we trust that when we knock, the door will be opened for us. Because we have plenty of resources, an abundance of resources with which to respond. That's true of our faith, where there is no scarcity of grace, and it is true for this church, where there is no scarcity of resources. I believe that. Now, Jesus understands the temptation to be seduced by the myth of scarcity, to hold on tightly, to be convinced that the empty cupboard is the acceptable status quo. But he also knows that we know how to be generous. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So remember, remember the God who gives us this day our daily bread. Pray that prayer in a few moments and then pray it again and then pray it again until you live into believing it. And remember those big words, sovereignty and covenant and grace, not as big words so much, but as the ways that God relates to us and then invites us to relate to others. And remember that the cupboard is not bare, not even close. In our broken and fearful world, in the deepest places of our lives, in the life and ministry of the big church, and in the life and ministry of this church. Remember our call to gratitude and generosity. Remember to sing a song of thanksgiving. Remember each quotidian opportunity to be thankful to an abundant God a God whose giving knows no ending. Amen.